Thank you for joining us today, Simon, from Future Super. Let's just start with the problem that you're solving at the moment and why does this problem matter and help us understand a little bit more about the system you're operating in. Uh, well, I'm Simon Sheikh, one of the co-founders of Future Super. And the problem I'm working on at the moment that I've been working on for many years now uh, that so many of us, in fact, are working on is the problem of the climate crisis. And in right. particular, in Australia, uh, the challenge that we have, which is to transition our economy away from being uh, powered by fossil fuels and towards being powered by renewable energy. Sure. Okay. And then and talk us through how like Future Super's role in that. Like You've obviously reimagined how superannuation can play a role in that transition. Help, help us to understand that a bit more. Uh, Australia's superannuation system is rapidly hurtling towards $3 trillion of assets under management. That makes it one of the largest pools of capital anywhere in the world. And what we know is that very little of that capital is, in fact, invested in renewable energy, but that only a fraction of it could fully fund the transition towards Australia's clean energy revolution. In fact, we did some research with the University of Technology Sydney that showed that just 7.7% of Australia's retirement savings invested in renewables between now and 2030 would be enough to totally uh, fund the transition to 100% renewable energy. So at Future Super, that's what we're about, disrupting Australia's superannuation sector so that we can put more money into renewable energy and take it out of fossil fuels. Understood. And then so at a systemic level, what's happening here is that there is an acknowledgement that the system that we have for, you know, capital and the allocation of capital in and of itself is not necessarily wrong, but... If we better uh, hijack that system, for want of a better word, we can direct flows of capital into things that perhaps give us better aims. Is that that's yeah? Right? So the, the system, uh, capitalism, and particular the retirement saving systems in Australia at the moment is fundamentally disconnected. And what I mean right. by that is that those whose capital, those who own the capital, are disconnected from those who manage the capital. And so right. our hypothesis is that if we is that we can change that and that the way right. we can change that is by engaging people with their money, getting them to right. switch their retirements, sending a message to the super funds they're leaving, a message that hopefully results in those super funds investing more in line with what their members actually want. Right. And it sounds to me a little bit like um, I'm sort of reminded by the whole kind of Tesla approach to batteries and saying we want the world to ultimately run on batteries and to be you know powered by renewables in this example there is much making that change but also shining a light on how that could work in, in hope to encourage other funds to do the same is that sort of the role you're playing here as well the way I think about our role as future super is twofold first is to be the lighthouse, right. to show people what the cutting edge of impact investing can look like right. uh, and to democratise the lessons from that, right. but also to be the first domino. And that is to say that we want, we're not going to change Australia's retirement system simply by getting everybody in this country to switch to future super. Our point <laughs> is that we can convince other super funds to go on this right. journey and the way we convince them is by taking their customers. It really is. <laughs> That's the lever we have. Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, market forces can be honed uh, and right. used and hijacked, to use your word from earlier, uh, to drive yeah. us towards the change we want. And being that first domino is how we see our role. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And then, look, as I understand Australian financial services and probably more broadly globally as well, retail, like, you know, customers, apathy is a massive problem. Is that, is that one of the big challenges that you face here or what are, what are the big challenges in 
in in growing what you're doing to to impact the mission that you're ultimately trying to make. What's incredible is that the vast majority of Australians want to see their retirement savings used to fund the clean energy revolution, and they don't right. want to see their retirement savings being used to fund the expansion of the fossil fuel industry. So the Australian right. public are with us. So why doesn't right. this change happen overnight? Well, because there is an intention to action gap. When you talk to right. the chief investment officers or the chief executives at the big super funds, as we have done repeatedly over the years, the message you get is clear, uh, and that is that we would only be driven by people actually shifting into those ethical options, and we've had them right. for years and up until uh, our launch and a few others who have come after us, uh, there wasn't uh, terribly many options on the market and therefore there wasn't a huge transition happening. But it is happening right. now. Uh, we're not the only company involved in that transition, but the exciting thing now is that it's really fast growing. Right, right. And does it help a little bit in, in this case specifically that I'm, I'm sort of making a false pretense here to, to open the dialogue, but that the economics of a lot of the renewable stuff is now getting to the point where it's inescapable in terms of, you know, investing in, say, new new renewable power versus, um, say, new coal station. It's actually, to my understanding, better unit economics for renewable anyway. So this is this part of driving that change as well. What creates the situation where renewable energy is cheaper than dirty, and that's where we're at right now, but we weren't there five, mm-hmm. ten years ago. What's helped create that situation is early movements of capital because by investing in renewable energy, by scaling up the clean energy economy, it gets cheaper and cheaper every time we install a solar panel. And that's because, A, uh, there's more scale and therefore the unit economics improves, but it's also because we learn more along the way. And as we learn more, we become more efficient. Uh, And so that demand uh, from consumers to put solar on their own roofs, the demand from impact investors to deploy money into renewable energy, that they are the levers that have driven this change. Right. right. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I think there's I mean, ultimately with a lot of these new technologies, you know, there's a manufacturing and scale thing and those systems in themselves and of themselves, when you start to make them more efficient and more effective, then you can scale those things and it's almost like a virtuous cycle of stuff. That's exactly where we're at. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And, that, and, and, and it's quite empowering to be part of a virtuous cycle, right? Because it means yeah. that for every unit of effort you put in, you're seeing greater and greater rewards over time. It's just it's actually very empowering to work in yeah. the clean energy space, especially uh, when you think about how scary the climate crisis is. To wake up every day and know you're doing something about it is just extraordinary. Yeah, that's great. And then do you... Do you in terms of the engagement you were talking about before, and, and you know, you know, the, the I guess being the, the domino, but also the kind of the leading light. What what kind of advocacy do you see from the people who uh, sign up to Future Super or, or, or even work for the company? What does that look like? Yeah, we're we're really privileged because, as you might imagine, to build an impact business, you need to have a movement of customers. Uh, not just right. a book of customers, but a movement of customers. And that's exactly what we have. We do exciting things with our members, like going out and visiting the solar farms, for example, that they're investing in, literally in exactly. on a bus uh, or in a Tesla, as we've done before. It's awesome to be right. able to do that. But what that results in is people sharing on social media. Uh, we have right. the highest engagement rate that we've seen in the financial services industry uh, from our customers, huge uh, rate of referrals. And I think that comes down to the fact that our customers love being a part of this movement, but that they also know that this is part of a theory of change, that joining Future Super with your own capital uh, being put to work is the first step uh, on your ladder Mm -hmm. of engagement, but it's not the last step. If we're actually going to make this change happen, then we have to prophesize about this. Right, absolutely. And look, you know, sometimes when you you observe a business, and I know you guys have now been around 
for, for a little while and really starting to make some inroads, which is, which is awesome. And there's that kind of observation, oh, you know, great timing and all this. Yeah, well, you know, if you're at bat long enough, then ultimately you end up in the right place at the right time kind of thing. Um, so that's, that's absolutely awesome. What are, you, what are you thinking right now is kind of the toughest part of what you're doing? Like what, what are the biggest kind of challenges and roadblocks in, in the execution from here? Uh, for us, it's, that's a really tough question because the way my mind works is to break down those bigger problems into a series of smaller problems that we're addressing. Right. So when we think about our business now, we think about uh, how do we address the default supermarket where you've got employers just putting people into random funds? Uh, how do we think right. about making sure that from a governance perspective, what we do stands the test of time? How do we make sure from the investment perspective that we're getting ready for more and more volatility? We're pretty fearful of the future for the next couple of years. So how are we making sure that we're protecting our members' savings through that period whilst making sure we continue to invest in the clean energy revolution. They're the sort of practical things that that engage our mind. We don't see necessarily roadblocks um, as we see right. as much as we see risk and volatility um, ahead. And so we're thinking ahead, uh, we're, we're protecting our members from uh, the risks that lie ahead. But at the moment, I must say, it's hard to use the word roadblocks because we're growing faster than we ever have before. You know, we typically might yeah. see a few hundred people joining a month, but we're now seeing between 600 and 1,000 join a month. And so yeah. it's just, just the momentum that this movement has now is, is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. And look, and I think just probably to articulate this, this is something I know and you're probably going to, um, I'm going to need you to explain this a little better than I'm going to be able to. But Future Super is a superannuation fund, but in doing that you've also created what is effectively managed funds that other funds potentially could pick up to my understanding and have also been then directly investing in other renewable projects presumably to offset some of that volatility. Have I understood that correctly? It's more yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. There are various ways of putting that. But, yes, when we thought about building Future Super, we wanted to do two things. One is put our own capital to work and the capital of our members. Right. Uh, and so we do that by investing in, as you said, solar farms, wind farms, battery storage projects. We also invest in mainstream companies like data centres, for example, that are putting solar on their roofs. I mean, there's a whole range of right. sectors within the economy that our members are exposed to. But what, but in mm-hmm. doing so, we have to create the product that, un- that sits underneath that. We have to help create the renewable energy investment opportunities. We have to create the listed equities products that allow us to invest in companies that are listed on stock markets uh, and only invest in the good ones, not the bad ones, uh, to, 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 be, to put right. it simply. And so in doing that, we've tried to do so in such a way that people can also invest uh, their non-super savings. Uh, we've also done so in a way that allows institutions to invest, other super funds to leverage what we're doing, copy it and run with right. it because what we're trying to do here is as open source as possible because that's what a revolution looks yeah. like and that's what we're trying to do yeah, here, absolutely. right? We're not trying to build the biggest <laughs> business. We're trying to change the superannuation right. sector. And so that means that, for example, yeah. we partner with BD Shares uh, who build exchange-traded funds. That means that anybody can buy a bunch of the companies that we're invested in uh, using an ETF that's listed on the stock exchange. Uh, that's the type of initiative that we do not for our own cause, but in fact to help other people follow what we're doing with their own money. Well, I mean, the higher order cause in a manner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, It's interesting you do that as well because if you think about the solar that we were talking about before, you know, by getting to scale, then you you get to have a bigger impact with the same underlying investment. And when you work out an investment strategy that is going to align to those higher order ideals of a fossil-free, you know, um, economy, 
then you get to be leveraged that five times over, which is not not so different to the solar power we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I there. think um, at the end of the day, we have a basic philosophy, which is that we believe that companies that look after people on the planet will perform better over the long term. Right. And that's true for two reasons. One, it's true because it means that there's less risk often associated with companies that aren't out there uh treating their customers poorly or treating the environment poorly and therefore being regulated in the future. But it's also true because of the trend. The more and more people uh, who consume sustainably, the better off the businesses perform uh, who are exposed to that sector, the better off the investors are who invest in that sector. So if you're out there buying organic food, why shouldn't you invest your superannuation in the companies that stand to benefit from your own consumption? That's another virtuous cycle yeah. uh, that we're very lucky yeah. to be exposed to. Yeah, and as much as anything, there's not just the, the underlying funds and, and the nature of those, but in some respects what the brand actually represents is something that people can then understand and translate into a bunch of actions that they can take, which might be to invest wisely or to, to rethink their own daily behaviours and, and can, as you said right at the start, better connectivity to, you know, ultimately the impact that they would like to have with their time on the planet and the funds related. Yeah, and it goes beyond finance. I mean, you and I uh, have done some work together uh, investing in energy startups, for example, uh, other clean businesses, sustainable businesses. I mean, there's a whole economy out there. Uh, There's a whole group of companies out there that are trying to disrupt their industries. And it's fantastic that we all have the opportunity to consume from them. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's an exciting time to be alive. Coming back a step, I'm I'm curious as to... You know, how, how, how you arrived here. Now, I've perused the LinkedIn thing and had a look at the notional backstory, but I'm interested in the kind of the emotional narrative here that sort of landed you in the, in the basis of starting Future Super. And you said co-founder before, so there's some, some other people involved. Take, take me through that. Let's go back, you know, go, go back 15, 20 years and help me understand how, how you arrived. For me, there, there actually was a moment, um, that was a bit of an oh, awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> grew up as the carer of my mother uh, who had mental health issues and an intellectual disability. And so that was something that uh, early on in my life, obviously not now, but early on in my life, I felt both perhaps embarrassed or ashamed about, um, certainly felt that I was different to other people. Of course, it turns out we're all different, um, something you learn over time. But but I was sitting in high school uh, listening to a speech from former High Court Justice Michael Kirby, who had gone to my school and sat in the very same hall that I was in as a student at that time, him now as a public speaker and an advocate. Uh, And he spoke about his own time as someone at that high school hiding his own sexuality. And whilst what I was hiding, which was my own family uh, life and upbringing, was different, I had the same awakening listening to him that I imagined he had at some point in time, which was to to realise that we could be part of something bigger if we all started to open up to each other. Now, that didn't happen immediately for me, but some months later, he, uh, Justice Michael Kirby, uh, was in the news because Senator Bill Heffernan, former Senator, I think he's gone now, uh, Bill Heffernan, certainly not in the news anymore, uh, <laughs> had made these outrageous allegations about Justice Kirby and the use of Commonwealth government cars, and some sordid allegations. And I just thought that was outrageous. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I wrote, so I decided to write a letter to the editor. Uh, I'd never been engaged yeah. in politics or advocacy or campaigning. I mean, I wasn't even on the debate club. I mean, I truly was quite a disengaged individual growing up uh, because I didn't have anyone right. around me, of course, to sort of give me a sense that you could do something different. Uh, But I wrote this letter and it got published, which for me felt extraordinary. And Justice Kirby came back to the school some months after that and we gave a talk together. 
to school. And I got really? to meet him. Uh, he said, thank you. Uh, even though it was this tiny action, Man. it made me feel part of something bigger, part of all the other people who were writing letters to the editor, part yeah. of all the other people who were ringing Talkback Radio, part yeah. of all the other people who were fighting back against what was a conservative narrative. And so that was my first little taste of agency. And I must admit, uh, it mm. never stopped uh, after that. Uh, I just kept going and going, um, joining public speaking, debating, getting involved in climate change activism. I met my wife when we set up yeah. the Australian Youth Climate Coalition together amongst a whole group of awesome young people. That then led to me working at GetUp, which led to me running for parliament, which led to me meeting my co-founder, which led to me forming Future Super. And so life kind of went on this amazing journey from this one moment of sitting in that school hall and realising that someone else is also thinking about the world around them but also hiding something. And so it was a strange way to begin this journey, but I often think back to that very moment. Right. I can I can see it. I can smell it. Um, I can sense what it felt like to be sitting in that room even to this day. Right, right, right. That's 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 amazing. I love it. And, and by the way, what school was that? Fort Street High School in uh, in Petersham in Sydney. Oh, the inner west. Love it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it sounds to me as well like once you get to that point, you know, you said your first taste of agency, you don't. It's it's pretty hard to go back from there, right? You're you're you now that you've been in, in environments where you're you know impact focused or or the like. It, it, there's no way to go back to not doing that. Is yeah, that I think that's right. And anyone in this space realizes that it is a complete addiction. Um, and I'm definitely addicted to it because it's amazing to be able to do work that results in change and to be able to see that change. Right. I mean, the highlight of my professional career was sitting in the High Court yeah, yeah. when at GetUp we ran a case to change. Uh, the definition uh, of Australia's constitution by creating a whole new implied right to enrol to vote. Previously, we had an implied right to vote and we managed to extend that, which has now resulted since that case ran in over a million Australians voting who are or being on the electoral roll, I should say, and and no doubt voting, who otherwise would not have. I mean, elections, uh, in particular the election where Julie Gillard became Prime Minister, literally changed as a result of that High Court case. And it was amazing to be involved in that, to be to think back to the moments where it sat on my shoulders to decide ultimately, are we going to do this or not? Are we going to, as a, as a movement, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, make this decision and open this up, this opportunity to our members and, and let them partake in this? Uh, that was an extraordinary thing to be involved right. with. Just one example of so many things that I've been so lucky yeah. to be surrounded by people who are taking action on. And you're in some respects chasing the next high. Just on that as well, I think a lot of the time when you come out of an entrepreneurial background, you know, there's, there's a tendency to think, you know, you've got to be sitting outside of the kind of policy machine, if you like, and the government you know, system to be able to influence change. And it's very hard to change things. But quite often there's, you know, fundamental changes that actually need to happen in policy itself. And you've sort of been on both sides of that. Like, give us a sense of, you know, how those two things work together or when one's needed and not the other one. Like, like most people are on one side or the other. How does it feel to be have, have spent time on both sides? Yeah, it's you, you are right, uh, by the way, and I think we should just focus on that for a minute. So many entrepreneurs are sceptical about what politics can deliver mm. and, and their arguments are often so simplistic. I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, it blows me away because in my mind, the only thing that's simple about this is the fact that we all work in the same machine together. I mean, let's take Future Super, for example. Right. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to shift capital out of fossil fuels and into renewable energy. In doing so, we're disrupting the superannuation sector. What does that result in? More superannuation funds, 
wanting to take climate change seriously, signing on to letters, starting to pressure governments. What happens when that happens? Uh, it becomes normalised, the idea of taking action on climate change, so more businesses sign up. What happens when more businesses sign up? The big lobby groups like the Business Council of Australia begin to support action on climate change. What happens when that happens? Governments start to say, well, the business community wants action on climate change, the farmers want action on climate change, the voters want action on climate change. So what happens or what will happen in the future? Inevitably, we'll see bipartisan action on climate change as well. What happens when that happens? We have more investment opportunities as super funds. I mean, the, the, the fact that I know this stuff sounds a little bit flippant, but the reality is we all work mm. in the same system together and there's different levers at different times. Right. And so to me, it's extraordinary the idea that as entrepreneurs we can ignore politics. I mean, that's crazy. What we need is more entrepreneurial thinkers inside politics because at the end of the day, we're all in right. one earth, one planet, one country. And again, I know it sounds uh, a, a little bit flippant to say, but I really believe that um, that the idea that there is some dichotomy between the two is completely false. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree with this. I just think that you, you know, there's sort of a. I mean, I, I remember I had a job when I was about eighteen. I was um, working, I think, for the Ministry of Justice in Perth, using my very scant accounting skills that I was still learning at the time, and it lasted about six months. It was, it, it was challenging, you know, in an environment where you want to move fast and you want to break things and you want to be, you know, courageous and just make decisions. It's it's hard to operate in that environment, but I think in so far as someone who's purpose led, not even having not having an, an awareness of the way policy works and the way that policy can impact um, the change that you're ultimately trying to seek is is at your own peril. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's that's super super fascinating. So, just thinking more broadly, so you know, your future supers focused on Australia, three trillion dollars worth of investable. So, shifting the needle on that is more than enough impact that's a that's a you know would be a huge change to make in and of its own right but obviously you know australia is part of, a, of, a, of an even larger system and you know what, what, where, where do you look to for, like for inspiration what are you looking at going they're doing some amazing work here and it doesn't necessarily have to be in in renewable or even in, in finance related but you know what, what's the kind of stuff that inspires you uh, right know, now i think the most inspiring thing we're seeing in the world is the mobilization of young climate activists uh, led by Greta Thunberg, right. for sure, as the most inspirational individual, I think, in my lifetime. Uh, but but it goes beyond her as well. And in fact, there are, I think what's unique about who inspires me and, and who is inspiring so many people in the climate world right now is it's young women in particular uh, who are stepping up, um, right. who, are, who are exercising leadership uh, and are working from a place of courage to pressure all of us. Uh, see, what I think is most interesting and I, I actually think most inspiring but also most challenging about Greta Thunberg is that it doesn't matter who she's speaking to, it doesn't matter what room she's in, we all feel uncomfortable listening to her because she pushes all of us <laughs> to realise we're not doing enough and that is the reality right. when it comes to climate change. There's not a right side and a wrong side when it comes to climate change. All of us who think we're on the right side actually should be thinking about what more we can do. So urgent is the challenge. And I find that quite inspiring but also quite challenging because it pushes me outside of my own comfort mm. zone to stop and pause for a minute and reflect on the fact that the fact that I get to go to work every day and work on climate action is not enough. It has to bring it has to be something in our homes as well. Every the way in which we live our lives, the way in which we do our politics, the way in which we challenge our friends and families to do more, to participate in the revolution that, that is happening. All of that is part of taking action on climate change. And so 
I have been both both inspired and challenged by her, but also by the young climate activists uh, in Australia and around the world who are now leading this movement and, and frankly should be leading this movement. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a it's a world that will be inherited by people younger than you and I. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, I think, but I actually think that's not the, necessarily the reason. Right. I mean, the reality is the world's being impacted hugely now. There are literally thousands of people dying uh, every year as a result of climate change right now uh, that we often don't talk about. What? Why am I inspired by these young people being at the centre of this movement? Because they work from the very place that change comes from, uh, and that's naivety. Right. It's courage. I mean, these things are critical when it comes to change. Most entrepreneurs are quite naive and it's an important trait in my view. I mean, any rational person would not say, hey, let's go and set up a superannuation fund, disrupt the superannuation sector and drive the clean energy revolution. I mean, on many levels, that's just an absurd proposition and and frankly a bad idea uh, and an unlikely to succeed idea. (laughs) Only someone who works from a a place of naivety um, can do that, but that leaves our system uh, as we get older, unfortunately. And so to have young people leading the climate movement means that we're going to have a more entrepreneurial outcomes-focused climate movement. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about naivety because I, one of the things we talk about here at Shape the System is this idea that curiosity is, is kind of a uh, begets change, this idea that, you know, when you sort of ask the question, I don't know why it works, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to work that way, it could work this way, and, you know, and then try to, and then that follows on from that, uh, an idea to go in and look at something and understand how the thing is set up to work the way it does as a way of, you know, debasing it or, or, or reinventing it or, you know, or, or blowing it up from the inside. Um, and I think it's interesting because naivety sort of posed to this idea of, well, I had no idea it couldn't work that way, so I just did it this way instead. And I think you're right. I think there's a childlike naivety that you have that perhaps is, gets less and less. But curiosity is something that I think as an adult you have the option to, to maintain and, and you know, walk around looking around all the time is, is kind of a fun way to live your life and you get to, you know, a lot more happens when you, you take that approach sometimes. Oh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, fundamentally, what does an entrepreneur do? I think an entrepreneur connects the dots, connects right. ideas, people, systems that otherwise haven't been connected before. They really, I mean, scientists do, but they really create something truly new from absolutely nothing. Um, it's generally the combination uh, of thoughts, ideas, people, processes, systems, funding, whatever it is that have never been connected before. Right. And so I do think your point around curiosity is right. Uh, what I tend to do and what I bring to my team and work with my team on is trying to break down problems to first principles right. uh, and challenge the assumptions that otherwise we make. Uh, when we, A lot of the time we make these bold and broad assumptions. You know, This system works like that, whereas actually we can only move forward when we break down that sentence into, well, what do we mean? Right. Uh, you know, What we mean is, a leads to B and B leads to C. Well, hang on a minute, why? Uh, so I think you're right. Um, I think it also goes along with scepticism. Sure. Um, a healthy sense that those who came before us maybe didn't get it right, which, <laughs> again, I think is linked to, a level, to to both naivety and arrogance. But I think yeah. the right dose, the right mix of naivety, curiosity, yeah. arrogance yeah. <laughs> comes together yeah. and creates uh, something new and different, and hopefully something better, but not always something better. <laughs> they, sound, they sound like the you know the opposite sides of a four-sided coin, if that's even possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just just on that, and I think you know uh, you know we talk to a lot of kind of very kind of purpose-led people, as you would imagine in this show. One of the things that I, I guess I have to ask is that I think 
uh, I see this and I observe this in people who are quite purpose-led generally, is that this thing, as you've almost you've articulated earlier, becomes quite consuming, um, all-consuming in a lot of respects. How do you, just in your day-to-day, how do you offset that with some degree of, you know, balance or how do you, how do you stay peaceful and all that, I guess? I, I think the it's worth focusing on what the problem is there for a minute. The problem right. is that we have unlimited opportunity. Uh, right. And my wife and I are both in this category where every minute of every day, more doors open and very few close. People approach us all the time with amazing ideas and we know that if we can connect them to this person and if we can help them with this piece of advice and this piece of funding, then all of a sudden we can reimagine the disability housing system or we can create a whole new form of, uh, of solar-powered um, battery storage-connected systems or whatever it is every right. day. It's unbelievable and it seems to only get more and more every day. It seems that there's this tipping point you reach where where the only thing limiting how much change you can make is how much time you have in the day. And so I get why you're asking the question because it can be very difficult not to just keep going and going and going. I mean, I see it with my wife who's, you know, um, on the computer before I even wake up. It's extraordinary. But I think for me uh, and for both of us, what grounds us is having a child. There's really nothing like a four-year-old to make you be 100% present. That presence and the chaos that a four-year-old brings ultimately brings peace, uh, even though it doesn't sound like it would, because it focuses the mind on the present. Um, and so I think that um, peace can be uh, tranquility, but it can right. also be presence. Uh, and I right. choose with a four-year-old to go for presence over tranquility. <laughs> totally understand. That's uh, yeah. I think I think there's uh, there's this often there's this talk of work-life balance. I'm like, well. It's not even about balance. It's like implying that if you're doing more than a certain number of hours on a thing, that somehow that's unbalanced. I think if you have a strong passion for something and that thing consumes you to the point where you're engaged most of your waking hours, but you have the offset that you know that provides you with that tranquility in whatever form that is, I think yeah, you can absolutely absolutely manage yeah. those things. I think of it as work-life integration. You know, how we're right. making sure that I mean, I'm often the first person to leave the office at Future Super because I do pick up. And so, great, like I don't have a problem with that. It means that my work is integrated, but equally it's not like I'm not doing my eight hours a day and then some, right? Yeah. I think that's part of a lot of what's happening now, which I think is great, is that we're challenging uh, the notion that we have to be seen at work to be working or we have to be seen by others. Um, for our achievements rather than just cracking on and achieving them. And, again, I find parenthood awesome in that respect because, you know, you get very focused on the outcomes and very focused on being efficient. Uh, Any any metric uh, that is vanity in form falls away pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and a four-year-old will pick that in an instant. Yeah. Hey, um, just just one thing specifically with Future Super that I think might be useful to people listening generally is this idea of B Corporation. Future Super is a B Corporation, is that right? Yes, that's right. I'm just. I'd love to understand a little bit of how how that how you've done that and how that's worked out for you, and and just in terms of not not don't have to go too deep, but just informationally generally. 
Yeah, so Future Super is both a B Corp, which we've been for a few years now, and also voted by B Corps, uh, well, I shouldn't say voted, but uh, nominated by B Corps as best for the world. Right. Uh, and that's all done on a scoring system. Yeah. Uh, it means different things in different countries. In the US, there's specific legislation that allows you to be a B Corp. In Australia, it's more about the policies and procedures you put in place to make sure that you're both impact focused in the work that you're doing, but also internally um, that, you're fo- that you're running your business in an ethical way, in an impact-focused way, in a way that understands that we exist for more than just profit, in a way that tries to bring stakeholders together. For us, becoming a B Corp did not change what we're doing. Becoming a B Corp was recognition of why we existed uh, and what we should be doing. Right. And what it has done for us, most importantly, is opened up a whole community uh, of other organisations right. who we've done amazing work with. And I think when we became a B Corp, we had no idea just how good it would be to be part of a community of other people who are also thinking about how do we treat our people well, how do we advocate for the change we want to see, sure. how do we raise money from impact-aligned investors, how do we how do we be philanthropic with our resources. Doing that in a structured way within a community is fantastic. Amazing. Love it. I've probably got one final question, which is, I guess, directed to you and to maybe the former version of you and trying to understand that, in, that specific experience that you had that led you into this vocation or this lifestyle or whatever the, the, the right word is, you know, really where you find yourself today. Um, how would you sort of describe that to someone who may not be sort of getting up and thinking, well, as, you know, what, what, what is it that I could be doing? Can I change the course of my own life to then direct myself into, form, into far more impact kind of orientated activities? Yeah, I think it goes back to the point we talked about earlier around addiction. I mean, how do we know addiction? Yeah, addiction. How do we know that we are living our best lives um, because right. we wake up every day wanting to do more and more of it? And to work for purpose is exactly that. Um, to know that you've got a theory of change that you've intellectually thought about what you're doing and why it's greater than the sum of its parts, but also right. to know what your personal values are and where your heart uh, comes into your work, how you work from a position of knowing that you love what you're doing because you're bringing your best self to it. That's exactly what working for change allows you to do. And I just think that uh, if anybody's out there not totally ingrained in the process of making this world a better place, then trust me, you'll love it. Take the first step and you'll never look back. Love it. Well, that's amazing. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. And um, everyone take note and check out Future Super in Australia. Thank you so much.